0: You are listening to the School of the Future podcast by G.I.I.S. I'm Graham Brown, your host. In this series, we feature the G.I.I.S. community of teachers, parents, students and thought leaders from across the region to discuss the forces, opportunities and challenges that are shaping learning in the 21st century. So this is episode three of the School of the Future podcast by Global Indian International Schools. In this episode, I'm joined by Kavsta Bodanka, who is the deputy CEO of the school here in Singapore. We're going to talk about the future of learning. It's a very deep conversation where we talk about biology, chemistry, physics, not as subjects, but of the disciplines of learning. How do students learn and what are the different ways that we consume, store, and then use information? We've got to change the way we think about learning. The old ways of teaching no longer are effective, not just in the school, but also in the workplace and society. How do we create a platform where students can explore, be motivated to learn, and then apply those skills to wider society? It's a revealing conversation. It may challenge your assumptions about learning, and also reveal to you some new pathways for how we can make learning a better experience for everybody. So sit back and enjoy this conversation. Okay, we are back for the School of the Future podcast. My name is Graham Brown. This is episode three. I'm joined in the G I I S. Recording studio with the Deputy CEO Karl Stubbedanka. Karl Stubbedanca, welcome.
1: Thank you so much
0: to It was great to have you here because we're going to talk about the future of learning and you are not a teacher by trade. You've almost arrived here on a very sort of long journey to get into education. So I want to talk about that because you made a conscious choice to be part of this project in this school as well. Maybe we can talk some about your background you're originally from india which part
1: i'm from maharashtra graham
0: which is for the i mean i know everybody listening maybe knows but for those just put it in the the picture which part of
1: that's the western part of india yeah and the place where i come from it's called as uh, the city of nagpur mm. it's famous for its uh, oranges they are famous all over the world and that happens to be right at the center of india mm. so if you take in india's map and point at the center that's the place uh, where i'm from
0: so you're from nagpur but you came to singapore how long ago
1: around 20 years ago
0: 20 years ago what brought you here
1: so i essentially kind of moved into manila philippines for my masters mm. i finished my masters there and i kind of came into singapore uh, joined the banking sector here mm. and that's when atul was starting with this idea of starting an indian school So I felt uh, something fascinating about it. Uh, There was no Indian school in this part of the world. In fact, uh, there were no Indian school in the eastern part of India. Uh, We had lots of schools in Middle East and so on and so forth. But no Indian school here. And fundamentally, I had this strong pulling that I would want to kind of make meaningful differences in other people's lives. So really, that was the lightning Mm. Which uh, prompted me the moment. Exactly. Which kind of moment.
0: You were working in banking. What were you doing there? I
1: was into risk management.
0: Okay. Yeah. So obviously you had that kind of background of crunching large number sets. You're a mechanical engineer by trade. Yes. Where did that then fit into this idea of education? How did that sort of morph into okay, so you're probably doing very well, had a successful career in banking. I feel I need to do something more here. Was it something that had been with you for a long time or was it only when you learned about this project that you felt that you needed to do something?
1: I think some of the skills that we had imbibed across our trade, be either a mechanical engineer, so very strong process background, be in terms of finance, being put on budgets, that kind of really helped us. Mm. So for example, where we really applied our learnings is to kind of standardize and automate lots of processes So, across our schools, we've implemented the Baldrige Performance Excellence Model. I think there are very few education institutions in the world which could have implemented this model, which is really an education excellence framework, a typical business excellence framework. So, we were able to kind of think through uh, a very process-oriented approach and then kind of institutionalize across all our schools. And I'm proud to say as a result of that initial seeding that we had done way back in 2003-2004, We've essentially kind of today won about 150 national and international quality awards. So those were essentially kind of little contributions which we kind of brought in as non-educators, people from the industry who essentially had that particular background to take a look at each and every process and try and see where we could make a meaningful intervention where we could kind of potentially increase and improve the outcome of that particular process, where we could kind of contribute using technology and otherwise. That we felt was really the key difference that we've kind of uh, made uh, to the schooling.
0: Yeah. So walk me through that. So you looked at the school and you said to yourself and obviously with your team as well, there is a whole set of processes here that we can improve, business processes, That's not natural when somebody looks at a school, is it? People may think, oh, no, these are human beings and these are students and teachers. We can't look at it in those terms. So was it easy to go into the school and identify those processes? Because I imagine that must have been a bit of a challenge. Or did you like that challenge coming from your background? Because you're probably dealing with quite complex structures and systems.
1: I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Essentially, as an educator, everybody has this very strong feeling saying that, look, it's all about personality. It's all about chemistry. It's all about building relationships so where could really the processes could come in so i think what we did was any change management is often very difficult so what you need to kind of really do is to create more champions so Mm. what we did was this that we kind of went and asked our teachers what's your pain points what are the problem areas that we could kind of solve for you outside of the classroom so thinking was that look let's first try and fix uh, any issues that they have outside of the classroom So that we kind of really make it much more meaningful for them to contribute the students' learning. And we identified that our teachers were doing a lot of mundane activities such as kind of taking attendances, marking uh, grades for some of the extra and the co-curricular activities. So then we identified if all those things could be automated and effectively took away that particular workload out from teachers. And that kind of really gave them the confidence saying that, yes, what these guys are talking about, uh, there is going to be something interesting for me. I am going to kind of benefit. And I think that's how gradually, very slowly, we're able to kind of push the envelope to kind of really share with them because ultimately it has to be a shared vision. We kind of laid a a blueprint as to how we would want to kind of achieve and the entire focus which everybody agreed. And I think we are very, very fortunate to have a great team that everybody agreed that whatever we would want to do at school, at the center must be the student Mm. and it must be it's his learning or her learning right at the center. So any activity that we do, is it going to promote her learning? If yes, then yes, that is an activity that we would want to kind of undertake. Mm. So I think that's how we essentially kind of really broke through all the processes. So earlier, the focus was very much on teaching in terms of how do I teach? uh, Am I an effective teacher? Whereas we brought in a paradigm shift of saying that, look, it's all about learning it really doesn't matter what you teach, It what matters is what is that the child has really learned. Mm. So that was something which we were able to kind of do very, very distinctly and very differently. And that's the reason why Global Schools has got the academic results uh, that it has kind of got over past several years.
0: Yeah, it's almost like you've gone to the teachers and said, look, if we're about learning, what are all those Things, Those processes, the work, the tasks that get in the way of that happening, that don't really contribute high value to the learning process. And let's just clear your desk, you know, effectively of all of that. And we'll take that away. We'll automate what we can. We'll eliminate what we can. And some of it we can maybe delegate, outsource and so on. And yet just focus on that core learning experience. So what were some of those tasks that you went in and when you talked to students and even teachers as well, they said, look, this is really slowing me down.
1: I think uh, three things that we kind of really did. One was we essentially explored how technology could enable learning for our students and effectively can it make an effective teacher. So we identified uh, if technology can kind of assist us identified certain technology that we could kind of bring to the classroom to help teachers. That was first activity. The second activity which we kind of really did was in terms of our teacher training for them to kind of understand the different profiles of our students, the different ways and and means by which the students learn. And really the third one, which was the, which again I'll say was completely different is to focus on personalized learning kind of really focus on the progress of each and every child. And we kind of initially started with concepts such as the minimum level of learning, which means every child in the classroom must achieve a minimum level of learning. Then we kind of brought in a next concept called as No Child Left Behind, Hmm. that if a cohort is going to kind of progress to the next grade, each and every child should be able to kind of meet your minimum uh, thresholds. And then later on, we essentially kind of further improved uh, in these areas where we essentially said that, look, let's kind of give an ability for every child to challenge uh, himself or herself, uh, identify what's her passion. Could we kind of really give them an opportunity to explore their talents and really make them responsible for their own learning? So broadly, these were the three areas, uh, kind of uh, deploy technology, make sure that our teachers really understand the different types of learners that we have. And third is to ensure that we are able to offer personalized learning.
0: There are many parallels, I feel, with the challenge that you face. Maybe, for example, and some of the listeners may relate to this, in healthcare. So a doctor signs up to care for patients, and it, the, the end goal is wellness and the health of the patient. Yet a lot of their work is taken up with writing paper, so prescribing or writing notes That's not what they signed up for. Yet that is taking up so much of their time. And that almost in a way stops them doing what they signed up to do. But what you're doing as well is you're going in and you're saying, taking this away. And then the teacher can focus on what really they signed up for all those years ago when they said that I want to be a teacher. I want to be about education and learning. That's my passion. And yet the reality hits and they end up doing so much paperwork that then it becomes a drag and they lose their love and their passion. And that then gets reflected in the students as well. I'm going to ask you about the challenge in doing all of that because it couldn't have been easy. No, No transformation project is easy. But let's talk about the end result with the teachers as well. How did it actually change? Maybe you can tell some examples or some stories of teachers and how it affected them in their work as well when you went in and you focus on technology training and the personalized learning what sort of experience was it for them
1: i think it was an amazing experience because some of the teachers they essentially kind of felt it very very intuitive they've essentially said saying that look this is something that we always wanted to do we essentially wanted to kind of really focus on the learning outcomes amongst the students and really being a platform school really helps us So at global schools, we've essentially got 21 campuses across seven countries. So what it really means is that we are learning best practices from seven countries. So we have teachers who've kind of taught in international schools in Singapore. We have teachers who've taught the... At the Ministry of Education schools in Singapore, fantastic schools, great learning opportunities, great experiences. And they were able to kind of lay it down based on what some of the other institutions have done. And they were able to kind of clearly share with us. So we were able to quickly identify certain best practices and then essentially kind of share across our entire platform, across our entire team. So we have an infrastructure called as the Global Learning Management System. We're able to kind of effectively use that. We essentially kind of challenged our teachers saying that, look, if any idea comes up, or if you really have created a great worksheet or a lesson plan, upload at Glimpse. Hmm. And let's see how many people kind of click, open, read, download it so that automatically kind of uh, builds some sort of competitions amongst teachers and healthy competition that Mm. look this is the work that I have created and I would want more and more teachers to benefit more and more pupils to benefit so that's how we essentially were able to kind of do that uh, to keep uh, motivating our teachers really telling them that look you are the best judge uh, you are the right resources you are the right People who actually know Mm. more about education than us, we could merely be the facilitators. All that we could do, because we are not educators, we are not trained teachers, all that we could uh, do is to kind of give you a platform, give you Mm. an opportunity to kind of really bring out the best uh, in you. And that really worked.
0: So the choice of platform is a very conscious choice as well, isn't it? I mean, in the business world, we talk about the platform era now where you are facilitators, you're enablers. You're not necessarily the solution, but you're giving people the tools. Absolutely. And you're saying the teachers and maybe even the students as well are part of this platform. Yes. That's quite radical. That's quite progressive. Absolutely. So I, my next question, the follow-up is going to be, it wasn't easy.
1: Yes, absolutely. It so was, tell it us was. about
0: the challenges you face, because I'm sure people think, Well, let's compare that to the world of banking as well. I'm interested to know which was harder to do any kind of transformation project as well. Tell us about the the sort of curve. It was never a straight line, was it, implementing this? You would have been up one day, down the next day, up the next day. What was that like for you?
1: Yes, I think this is a process that we've kind of done over the last uh, 18 years now. And what we kind of really realized is that a radical change is a recipe for disaster. Mm. So what you really need to do is to kind of make small incremental changes. And I think that's what we did. We did not build a very large platform. We kind of really focused on two or three areas, be very focused, try and do our best in those areas, kind of got everybody's uh, commitment, got everybody's uh, okay to what we are doing. Uh, made uh, made people comfortable that yes, this is a process that we would want to follow, and then gradually made uh, changes to that and add added more and more areas. So the same about the platform. When we kind of developed the platform, we identified uh, ten or different areas where we would want to kind of automate and now today we've got more than 450 modules 450 Mm. areas we've kind of really automated Mm. so the learning at our end really was is to kind of go very very slow in terms of change management made uh, people the entire focus because often our team feels saying that look if there's going to be a change am I going to be replaced Uh, what happens to me Uh, will my career progression be the same just like the point that you made that teachers have this feeling that technology could potentially replace them so how do you kind of really handled in terms of that particular change that we bring in so the key learning at our end was to kind of uh, earn the trust of our team and if they trust you uh, then yes uh, everybody is committed to a shared vision and it will be very easy for you to implement
0: and what about the parents and to what extent when I mean, they're a key stakeholder in this and maybe they don't see the direct result of glimpse on their side or what you're building because you're building something that sits behind the whole experience. How was it for you in communicating that to the parents? Were you actively out there teaching them about it? I mean, how did that work? And what point were they involved in the whole process?
1: Absolutely. I think it was the voice of experience. So I'll just kind of give you a case study. So when we moved to the smart campus, the school of the future, our previous campuses were very different. They were very traditional in nature, very limited uh, technology. So we realized when if we are going to make this as a radical change, because this is not an incremental change, it was a radical change. How do we kind of really make sure that not only our students, but parents equally buy into the idea, the vision of the school of the future? How do we do that? So really, we focused on the voice of experience. So what we did was to kind of created uh, small classrooms in our existing uh, schools what we kind of call as a digital classrooms, kind of just to give them a flavor of what to expect at school of the future. So we invited some of our parents, we showcased to them that look how technology is going to be used to support learning, to enable learning, how your children are going to use digital devices, how they're going to kind of collaborate with each other in in a very safe, secure learning environment. And we asked them to kind of really experience that. So that really helped us quite a lot. And then we had some parents who kind of really became champions for that. Those who actively use technology, they were very strong supporters for this. We essentially kind of then walked them through across the entire development plan of the School of the Future we kind of did um, tours of the campuses under the construction really explained to them and a good number of parents and students signed up for this uh, for such school tools and before we opened there was an exhaustive uh, campus tools that we organized for our parents we kind of did open houses on this campus before even the school started just to kind of tell them that look this, these are the different activities we are going to have we are going to have 40 skills biz labs we are going to kind of use technology in this fashion and so on and so forth so that really helped uh, us to kind of get the uh, Necessary support from the parents, and they've been very, very supportive. Mm.
0: I imagine the, the level of sort of technological cap- capabilities in the communities can be high anyway, but I, I also think that in that generation, I mean, the, the children here, the students here, the parents will be in their 40s and above average, and yet their training, their schooling, maybe back in India, would have been very traditional. I imagine their type of learning would have been rote learning from the book. It would have been reading, writing, arithmetic. Absolutely. That would have been it. And it would be memorizing vast amounts of data and, you know, in exam, just recalling everything. That's how we learned, and it was my generation, and maybe for yourself as well. That's how we all were schooled, right? And yet that's what we grew up understanding as education and learning. Right. So I imagine some people still think that that is how it's done. And I still think that some people probably prefer that way of education. How do you deal with those people? I mean, do those people, are they still around? Do the people still think that I want my children, it's very good school of the future, but I want my children learning arithmetic or learning algebra in the way that I learned it. Do those people still exist? And how do you deal with those people if they do?
1: I think it's a minority. Because especially in in countries like Singapore, which are very, very progressive, uh, people are essentially kind of seeing what's happening in the education sector. And really, technology has kind of uh, completely changed the way that we operate. Now, everybody has a digital device at home. Each and every child knows how to kind of search Google. Uh, they essentially are able to quickly gather whatever information. So what we kind of lacked where we essentially used to memorize information, we used to kind of memorize tables, but now the entire information is available. Calculators are allowed in schools, so are the iPads and MacBooks, so you're able to kind of quickly search for information. I think perhaps what is missing and which I think parents also realize today is the ability to process this information, the ability to analyze and synthesize information so that it kind of really becomes knowledge. So learning is now all about acquiring knowledge and skills, which is very, very different than what uh, we used to be. Uh, We used to kind of really focus our learning was to kind of uh, crack exams and try and kind of get uh, those scores in the necessary, which are required in the competitive exams. So our learning very much was focused uh, with a goal in mind that, yes, at the Mm -hmm. end of the day. I would want to kind of get these many marks uh, so that I kind of go to the top university. The focus really wasn't on acquiring skills and knowledge. It was only later when we kind of go to universities, we realized saying that, look, uh, there was like good 15 years which were really wasted. Not of course wasted. We kind of also uh, learned quite a lot through our experiences. Uh, through our relationship that we kind of built at schools Mm. but really at that time the focus was more on teaching and very little on learning but I think today that entire paradigm shift has changed across industry in the education space I think Mm. all educators today kind of really talk about learning which is fascinating which is fantastic
0: yeah and you're seeing that reflected in the workplace as well I mean you know, companies like Google, for example, will happily take people without a degree if they have the right skills and mindset. Absolutely. And they're looking, I mean, they understand. They can pick whoever they like. They right. have all the, the – they can pick all the cherries from the crop. You Absolutely. Know, they can pick all the, the, the key talents. So they're not limited. So they've, they've consciously gone for people who have the right mindset and skills, not necessarily, the, you know, the, the, the right degree or, you know, the right results in their exams, for Absolutely. example. Absolutely. So they've realized that shift. And now that's filtering into education as well. People are having to reflect that. So what have you learned about learning in your journey? I mean, you come from the world of banking and you were a mechanical engineer before that. And you were learned, you trained in a certain way. And now you're in this environment. And maybe your assumptions have been challenged a little bit as well. And hopefully you've learned in the, the process. What have you learned about how people learn, especially, you know, this generation?
1: Absolutely. I think that's, that's really my favorite topic. And I kind of really describe the learning of the physics, the chemistry and the biology of learning. Maybe let's kind of first start with the biology. See, what is learning? Learning is really acquiring information. It is the absorption of information. And that kind of really happens in our brains. Now, our brains are extremely malleable. And this phenomena is called as neuroplasticity. So what it really means is that not only the neuroplasticity is dependent on the genes, because ultimately it's the genetic genetic structure of the brain, Hmm. but also what kind of experiences that these genes have been exposed to. And I think that's extremely important. So that's how our generation has kind of really learned. Maybe our educators didn't focus on our neuroplasticity, on our ability to kind of really learn at the very young age, but we were kind of continuously learning from interacting, playing sports, playing soccer, playing cricket, and I think these, uh, those uh, learnings contributed to a uh, quite a lot. Those experiences mm. kind of contributed quite a lot to us. And our brain is an amazing, uh, amazing feature uh, in everybody. Uh, the beauty about our brain is uh, that it has this immense ability to kind of really take in a lot of information. And uh, once you kind of uh, exposed to novelty, uh, that's where you will have hormones such as dopamine secret in your brain. And this hormone, uh, dopamine, uh, really stimulates faster absorption of information. Mm. So what it actually means is that if you are uh, having more dopamine secreted in your brain, you are able to kind of learn faster. And dopamine is one of the hormones that really kind of makes people happy. So at our schools, that is something that we kind of really monitor. Are our students happy to come to school? So, the theory is happier the child, which mm. means more and more dopamine is secreted in his brain, which means his information absorption is going to be faster, which means he is going to be the better learner. Mm. So, that's really about the biology of, uh, uh, of learning. And if I were to kind of expand this into chemistry, uh, dopamine is a hormone and so is the other hormone like cortisol. Now, cortisol essentially secretes in our brain if we are under stress, if we've kind of got negative emotions. And this is what is going to kind of really shunt out your learning. So our idea for any teacher would be is when she kind of goes into a classroom, clap, uh, play, uh, talk positive to students, try and kind of create energy, try and kind of give some novel ideas, try and kind of expose to them something new. And that's where technology has kind of really helped us. Because previously, it was a traditional book, there's very little that you could do. Every day, the child is seeing the same book, he's kind of seen it already, uh, so many months, there is nothing new in that. But when you have technology, when you have iPads, when you have multimedia lesson plans, he's kind of getting something new, he's kind of suddenly looking into a game, he's kind of suddenly looking into an animation, and that is exciting. Uh, That's where I think his curiosity is getting fueled. That's where he essentially starts exploring. And that's where his kind of learning becomes very fast. So that's really the chemistry about it. How do we kind of really make a student much more engaged in mm-hmm. his learning? And lastly is the physics, which is also equally important. And that I kind of really put in a very small term as the, the lights, the sound and the action of learning. So really, we aren't talking about movie, but these are the three different learning styles. So the learning style in terms of lights is the visual. So there are some visual learners. So these are the people like me who often want to kind of take down notes who often want to kind of make some diagrams so that visually we are able to kind of learn. So I don't really like to learn through a text and I have very little understanding, but the moment I try and kind of translate that text into a pictorial or into a diagram, it is much more easier for me to learn. And then there are some people which are auditory learners. They essentially kind of really like to kind of listen to themselves. These are the people who will kind of read out the notes loud. They'll kind of talk to themselves They are really kind of auditory learners because they are kind of uh, uh, absorbing information. And then the last one are the kinesthetic. Those are the people who really like to move. Uh, If you ask them to sit into one corner throughout the entire day, they're not absolutely going to learn. These are the children who actually want to touch. They would want to kind of move. Uh, They want to write just because they essentially are kind of having any movement. So they kind of really learn by moving around. So inherently, every person will have some portion of uh, of uh, these uh, learning styles. But at the same time, every person is unique and every person's experiences, his genetic structure is kind of going to drive whether he's going to be predominantly a visual learner or predominantly a kinesthetic learner. So these elements become extremely important for a teacher to identify and that's really the physics mm. of learning all about. So unless and until you kind of focus on these three areas where essentially kind of make a great learning environment at school, which really kind of fuels creativity, brings out novelty amongst the children, and then essentially identify their learning styles, that's when you'll be able to kind of make a meaningful learning difference to a student.
0: It's fascinating, isn't it, that we are really learning about learning through all these different disciplines like biology, chemistry, and physics. And yet when we watch young children learn and preschool, you know, when they're toddlers or you know up to the age of five maybe, and how they learn it's full on play it's very absolutely. immersive All, everything you talk about is how they learn left to their own devices absolutely
1: through exploration absolutely. exploration
0: the motivation is there the dopamine right. and they learn if they bang their head against the wall they don't do that again that's how they learn you know they get the cortisol reaction in their brain and they learn through the movement and touching and experiencing everything And yet, traditionally, then we take them into the school environment and we eliminate all of that and narrow it down to a very narrow band experience of learning. Yes. And now we're trying to take it back to... create this full, immersive learning environment where we can really stimulate all the different aspects. And you mentioned an interesting point as well, like some students learn better in ways, for example, like the, the kinesthetic. And I imagine like you describe it, somebody who wants to move around. Maybe... In the old school world, that was the, the kid that got punished. Yes. Let's like, stop fidgeting or stop throwing things around. But maybe he just wanted to, or she wanted to play with something. And that's, you know, you can see that when they're older and they want to take things apart or, you know, they've got a screwdriver in their hands. That's how they learn. Absolutely. Yet in the traditional model, they would have been penalized. It's true. Yet maybe the ones who were just very good at focusing on text, the ones that got rewarded. Absolutely. Right? So now how does that play out with students, those that, maybe in the old world would have been disadvantaged do you see some sort of realization of potential now that in this new environment they would have got left behind in you know in our generation of education
1: i think that's true and essentially that's that's where you kind of see so many sportsmen extraordinarily brilliant in sports part uh, completely struggled in the education because the education which was kind of then offered was exactly this that look Mm. if you don't have the necessary skills to reproduce what is in the textbook in an exam paper you're going to fail and these are people who've kind of done exceptionally well in a sport uh, that you name it and that's the reality because they inherently had that talent but really the educators at that time were not able to hone that talent also in the education field i think today it's completely changed i think today we would want to kind of give an opportunity to each and every child to explore their hidden talents and that's where our nine gems model kind of really becomes very handy where we are focusing on each and every activity so not only on academics but also on entrepreneurship on skills development so activities such as maker labs uh, robotics Mm. these are the places or diy anything do on yourself is something which kind of allows children to kind of explore at the same time, somebody could be very good in terms of art form. So you have the digital arts, you have the creative arts. So the whole idea is that young children don't know what talent do they have. It is really uh, us teachers or us educators to hone that, to identify. Hmm. And that will only happen once you kind of expose them to all different sorts of different activities. So a lot of our parents used to ask us, hey, why do you have 40 skill slabs? What is the logic? You should just be focused on 5 or 10. Why should there be 40? And the point of this is that each and every child is different. I really don't know who's going to be extremely good at digital and creative art. Or I don't know who's extremely good who would want to tomorrow become the best radio jockey. Or somebody who's going to become a TV news anchor. So unless until we don't know of this passion and mm. unless until we don't give them this opportunity to kind of really see for themselves what drives them, uh, what really makes them happy. That's where, as an education, we will fail if we don't give them that opportunity. And the reason why we created 40 skills labs or studios was just to expose them. And those who like, they essentially kind of take it. Those who don't, they kind of go and do a different activity. But so that s- was the idea.
0: Give me an example. If if you were a student here, Kalstub, one of those skills labs, what would you choose? Which one would have personally appealed to you?
1: Kalinari <laughs> Art
0: me out as a mechanical engineer yes
1: I I like to cook right. uh, that's really a passion of me uh, yes and believe me I I wasn't knowing ABC of cooking till the time I actually left my home right so that was the first this time that I started cooking exactly now, right? yeah. absolutely it's the survival skill so at the age of 22 when I left out yeah. finished my university I went to Manila I'm a vegetarian Right, so at that time there were very few vegetarian options so what do I do so essentially I had to kind of really learn but uh, that art has now kind of really blossomed to yes it will be the culinary Fantastic.
0: art it's hard though, isn't it? Can you imagine like from our generation, the, the parents would have said, you know, why are you teaching my son cooking? That would have been a whole cultural conversation to be had there. And yet, you know, all the skills you would have learned from cooking, you know, it is very scientific really, isn't it? It's all about preparing ingredients as you would in any chemistry lab, right? And you're making, you're, you're working with a formula, yes. you're experimenting, making some mistakes, you're burning something, spilling something, you're getting burnt as well. All part of the experience as well. Absolutely. And how that sort of contributes to learning in later life, right? But then, you know, you find out only through survival later on. Yes. Okay. Okay fascinating and we're sitting here as well we're sitting in the radio studio absolutely which is you know i I'm, i'm passionate about podcasting we're working with gis on the podcast as well and i feel as well in the world of work how important it is now to communicate and tell your story you know if you go out there with all these qualifications and skills and Mindsets and philosophies and ideas, you still have to be able to communicate that to people as well, right? You still have to tell people that this is what it's about. Absolutely. And that is an important skill, isn't it? The the resume doesn't necessarily speak for itself like it used to. Have you had experience in here before? Have you seen some of the students come here? Because I've seen photos and videos of it, and you know we work with some of the students as well. I mean, your experience of like the students coming in here as a skills lab and learning these
1: skills—absolutely. This is one of the facility which is booked the most. <laughs> it's very difficult to kind of get time out here. Absolutely, as yes, I was so told lucky to that be here. you have to be here dot <laughs> before ten o'clock. We are going to finish by eleven, and that's it. There are students lined up after that. Right. So absolutely true. In yes. demand. And what, what do you
0: think? I mean, how would you then translate like the culinary lab? How would you translate that? into you know, the 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 hard skill benefit for somebody who then has to go on and get a job or a job to pursue their passion. How would this work here? How could you say, okay, if you come in and learn radio station, how does that translate to you having a better career? If it's not, for example, being a radio DJ, obviously. How does that work, for example, if you wanted to work at Google or you wanted to work in a bank, whatever you wanted to do?
1: I think it's all about the choice. So what we are kind of really trying to do here is give a choice to students, try and explore your talent, try and kind of really explore your passion. And the idea behind this is that uh, even if you were to be a kind of take the example of culinary art, we aren't saying that, look, uh, you take culinary art, if tomorrow you would want to kind of go and participate in MasterChef competition. I don't think that's the whole intent. Mm. I think the intent is to kind of really make uh, students happy they must kind of look forward to kind of come to school. And these are the benefits which are essentially going to also translate back into the education. Because if my, like, for example, I have two daughters, both of them are here. So she is very, very happy to kind of come to school because she is then saying is that, look, I have something else to learn. Today is my robotics class. Today I'm going to go to yoga. Today I want to kind of go for my dance. So every activity. So she isn't kind of talking so much as to what is kind of really happening in the classroom. But all the other elements, which is kind of really attracting, which is kind of making her more exciting to kind of go to school is becoming important. And these experiences are then kind of getting translated into her learning. So perhaps as we kind of call a well-rounded individual, Mm -hmm. an individual who has know-how of art form who is essentially also kind of good at a sport, uh, knows pretty well how to cook, uh, is also kind of uh, pretty good in terms of communicating, is a good writer. I mean, that is the kind of people we are kind of really looking at. And these are the experiences, these are the stories that people would want to kind of cherish through their life and then kind of try and communicate. Mm. So irrespective of whatever you would want to kind of choose as your career, Our idea would be is to kind of try and take as many skills as possible from schools, which is going to kind of really be helpful to you. And this is from our personal experiences. We all felt saying that, look, in those 15 years, if you would have learned a percussion instrument, it would have been equally good. If you would have learned a dance form, it would have been even better. So I think that's really what we would want to kind of offer to our students as a choice. It's not something that we are forcing on anybody. But purely on your choice, uh, yes, come, enjoy. If somebody likes to kind of just relax and read, yes, our library is there with a very, very comfy sitting. So if you want to kind of really add into reading, go ahead and do that. So that's the whole idea.
0: Is there a sense of guilt with that, that you know, because we've been trained for so many years, that if you're enjoying it, if you're having fun, it's almost not learning. That's what we've been trained, because that's what you would have been scolded for at school if you were enjoying yourself too much. Yet what we're now teaching here is that that is so intrinsic in the learning experience. You know, go way back to preschool. That's how we learn. That's how we're programmed, the the biology, the the, the mechanics of it all. Yet now we have to get people on board with this idea that, yes, it should be fun. fun. It doesn't Absolutely. all have to be fun. But yes. even then take that into the world of work it's like oh i'm i'm enjoying myself now i'm I'm sitting here working sitting with you and you're sitting here working sitting talking to me and we're enjoying this conversation this is work and there's that natural sense of guilt with that we kind of have to address maybe with parents and teachers and so on that actually that is actually what we're trying to achieve here maybe we have to unlearn what we've learned absolutely 20 30 years in the education system that That was when we got told off. You're enjoying yourself. Is that an easy process with parents and teachers to say, actually, this is how it should be. We should hear children laughing, singing, children moving around, making a noise. Just relax a little bit. This is children learning.
1: Right. And then I think it is kind of becoming easier and easier. Maybe 10 years ago, the concept of uh, students' engagement was a difficult concept. But now today, people are kind of talking about employee engagement, So essentially, when an employee or a teacher is also feeling about the same thing, saying that, look, am I engaged at the workforce? So if I'm going to be engaged as a workforce, are my students also equally engaged? And that's also true for a parent who's kind of working in the industry. He's essentially also kind of thinking about his engagement with his organization, with his industry, with the work that he's kind of doing. And you kind of really see a lot of people shifting midway careers because they feel that they aren't engaged enough. And they essentially kind of go ahead and explore something else. So this realization is now even better that look, unless and until a child is engaged, uh, learning will not happen. And of course, we have to kind of really make learning simple. We have to kind of really make learning more fun, more uh, activity based, more project based, more collaborative based, because that is what uh, the future is going to be. Uh, Gone are the days when people used to kind of run a project single-handedly, it's impossible. Now, any project that you name it, even this podcast, Hmm. there's a team of five members. So essentially, it's in collaboration. So the skills of collaborating, I think that is the single largest skill. And the communication skill, the ability to kind of sell your ideas, your concepts, are the two most important skills which our children of the future are really going to require. Yeah. And at the same time, people expect them to kind of work from home, work for distinctly. So which means human-to-human human face connectivity is going to be less, but the collaboration is going to kind of even increase. So those are the elements uh, which as a teacher, as an educator, we have to kind of really imbibe in our students. And therefore that engagement uh, with everybody in the classroom, with fellow students is very, very important.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of unlearning there as absolutely, well. But that that's yes. the beauty of what we're doing here. That's the future of learning. Yeah, absolutely. That is the future of learning. And I think it's really about, you know, focusing on what the core outcome is and that's the learning of the child as well and th- that sort of experience of learning like you say challenging a few assumptions as well about teaching and a few ingrained habits about how we've done that for so many years like you say just ending up talking about for example communicating collaborating if, Calstab, if you sat next to me in the exam room and we were writing a test in our era if I leant across and said, cast what have you got for answer two I'll do a swap for you on answer three we would have been chucked out we true. would have been penalized. Yeah, yes. in the real world now, that is how it happens. And Absolutely. You, you have to you see all these companies building ecosystems of partnerships, just Absolutely. like you're doing in the school here as Absolutely. well. Absolutely, true. You cannot go out there and solve a problem on your own. Absolutely. Right? And that is, that is reality. The School of the Future, I mean, it's a grand title as well. I mean, really, it's here today. I see what you're doing. And I'm, yes. every time I come here, I feel energized by, you know, obviously, we spoke to and we spoke to, you know, your teachers as well and yourself. And we get that sense of energy. Do you ever think about next? You know, you've been doing this here at GIS for 18 years, right? Yes. So 20 years from now. I know it's a very, very long way away, but do you ever feel about what this would look like? And will it be the same shape as what it is today? And how will it be, you know, here in Singapore, perhaps?
1: Yeah, I think 100% what we are sure is that it will not look like what it is today. I think with the inset of AI, artificial intelligence, deep learning, there are essentially technologies, essentially kind of sense, behavioral patterns that essentially kind of uh, are sensors, which uh, sense tactical movement, facial expression. I think all this is essentially going to kind of really triangulate To make uh, learning much more powerful and not only for schools, but also in the industry, because people are now really kind of talking about learning and development. Mm. And all those uh, nuances, uh, all those fundamentals, again, go back to the physics, chemistry and biology of learning. And that's for humans. So whether you are a child or an adult, learning will kind of really happen in in a particular fashion. And that's where we kind of feel completely changed. But what we also realize is that what is going to be very important uh, as we kind of go and become a future society is really how to kind of behave in a society. What kind of values do you want to kind of really take in? And I think that's where, uh, that's where schools will still have a fundamentally a value proposition to offer because technology is something which will not imbibe values that is only through your behavior through your interaction with others and I think universal values such as peace, tolerance, racial harmony I think these are things which are going to be equally important Mm, if not mm. today even more as we kind of see in the future so that's really where we feel that look uh, schools of the future will kind of further evolve They'll essentially kind of use technology to the hilt uh, much more than what we are kind of currently doing. But the fundamentals in terms of what a global citizen should be uh, are uh, really going to be the same. Uh, we still would want to see a future global citizen very much enrooted in his society, wants to kind of give back to the society, would want to kind of uh, carry the entire burden of the society, would want to make a meaningful difference to the society, would want to kind of stay in harmony. I mean, these are the things which yeah, next 50 years, uh, things shouldn't really kind of change.
0: Fantastic. That is kalsta Badanka, everybody. And thank you for sharing. I can tell this is your passion
1: absolutely
0: and a mechanical engineer by training and then into the world of banking but this is your calling and i I really sense that coming through in the way you talk about this and it's more than a career you know I, i think you know you talk about people making a difference but you're making a difference here as well right you you are you're allowing people to you know really achieve elevate their potential whether it's the teachers or the the students through making, you know, giving them a platform to do that as well. And that's no easy task as well. And, you know, the fact that you've come from that world of mechanical engineering and applied that mindset to it, that is the right process, the right way of solving that problem. And you're seeing results here and it's been inspirational.
1: Absolutely, Graham. In fact, empowerment, I mean, that's really the the mantra that we would want to see. We would want to kind of really empower our leaders. We would want to empower our teachers. And more importantly, we would really want to empower our students to be responsible for their own learning. Gone are the days where teachers are essentially saying, Is that look why you haven't done that? Yeah, we would want intuitively, even young children, even the primary students, we would want them to kind of become responsible for their own learning so they essentially are able to kind of set the expectations because that's what the future is going to be. If you will have to be responsible for your own learning, and learning is now going to be lifelong. Because what we learned in university 20 years ago is now completely changed. The way technology has kind of come up, the way we used to kind of do experimentation, that has changed. So for these young children, which are kind of entering school now, uh, what they'll kind of see at their workforce is not imagined today. Mm. Perhaps what we have the jobs, only 30% of that will kind of remain. So 70% of the jobs are not yet invented. We don't know what those kind of jobs are going to be. So what it really means is that that single most skill that I would want to leave With a child is to empower himself or herself for her lifelong learning.
0: Fantastic. Calstub, thank you for sharing that with us today. Been really enjoyable.
1: Thank you so much.
0: You've been listening to the School of the Future podcast by GIIS. To learn more about GIIS, our community, and our latest thinking, visit us at www.globalindianschool.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.